0: Welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome back. This is the sophomore episode of Debating Metal. I am Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host Chris K. And today we're going to discuss debut albums. And we're also going to be introducing a new segment called The Big 4, and that's where we discuss our top 4 of any particular category like drummers, guitarists, etc.
1: But before that, we have to acknowledge the passing of the professor Neil Peart. Fantastic drummer the drummer for Rush from the album Two Onward, a brilliant lyricist, and a huge loss to the music community.
0: Oh, that was a gigantic loss. I mean, his influence is felt in everything. That, you know, when it comes to lyrics, songwriting, the style of songs, his drumming—his drumming was beyond uh, phenomenal. I mean, widely considered probably the best, the greatest drummer of all time.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, he was—he was the favorite of of many of our favorites, uh, just, just an inspiration and, and, uh, somebody that we sorely missed.
0: Yep. Rest in peace, Neil. All right. So today we're talking about debut albums, the debut albums from all our favorite heavy metal bands, all from the beginning of metal all the way up to now. Uh, so what do you got for us today, Chris?
1: So we're going to go in chronological order, uh, just to keep it fair and also kind of Tell the history of metal in in a strange way. Uh, the first would be Black Sabbath. Uh, Black Sabbath, the album from Black Sabbath. Uh, that's it, while technically not a metal album, it was the the first of the genre. What led to become metal, um, although we, we we definitely recognize. Led Zeppelin before them uh, as, as one of the contributors to that sound, but those, uh, those first notes of, of the song Black Sabbath as you as you first listen to the album, it just the, the, the dark tones just if you if you imagine yourself in 1970 you'd just be absolutely freaked out
0: That's some scary shit
1: yeah <laughs> um, Now that being said, what are your feelings on on the song Black Sabbath Dean? Well, uh, I'm not a fan. Uh, unfortunately i love the album
0: i'm not a big fan of the song black sabbath itself just it's not because it's creepy song because it's extremely creepy but and you think about it in 1970 that is probably the creepiest thing you could probably listen to but it was it's too slow for me uh it kind of drones on in my opinion um not a big fan of the song rest of the album nib wizard um evil woman that was actually added later on actually there was a single
1: well, it, well evil woman was on the original european release was it yes but it wasn't on the us release which is a subject we'll talk about at some point <laughs> yeah
0: yeah but um and then you know so it, it had its fair share of great songs on it it's just not my black sabbath the song itself is not my favorite
1: see for me it's the opposite um black sabbath was that song that just it kind of scared me into liking it because at the, up to that point, there wasn't a lot of uh, heavy music that I listened to. And I, I would say I probably listened to that well before I listened to uh, Metallica. Um, my my family was never very religious, but at the same time, um, they came from a religious background. My, my grandfather was a, a Church of Christ minister. Um, so when I got my hands on heavier stuff... You know, it was kind of secretive to me, and me listening in the closet to Black Sabbath was a little that, scary. That's got to be weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Being in the closet with Black Sabbath?
1: Uh, yeah, no, no pun intended. <laughs> um, no. But no, the the songs he mentioned, all fantastic. It's more of a bluesy album, uh, but it definitely was the predecessor to what would become uh, metal music.
0: Right, Exactly. Also that year, just a brief mention, um, UFO came out with their first album, UFO. It did not contain Michael Schenker as a guitar player. That didn't come for another couple of years uh, until their second album, or actually their third album, excuse me, Phenomenon. It was lights out for uh, for um, UFO at that point. Our next album, what are going to talk about?
1: 1974,
0: Kiss. Kiss. Well, Kiss is near and dear to my heart, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the first album from Kiss was... In in terms of sales, didn't go anywhere. It, it literally stalled, but it had a ton of promise. I mean, to this day, they still play six, seven songs from that album. You know, uh, they're all classics. I mean, if you think about it, they had you know Strutter, Colgin, Firehouse, Deuce, Black Diamond, a hundred thousand years. All those songs were on that first album.
1: And some of those have been re-recorded since. And oh yeah, they recorded a bunch. Recorded, uh, yeah, yeah,
0: because. Uh, it's all copyright law, you know. Certain mm. certain bands, they with especially with the in the, the advent of the internet and, and streaming, certain bands wanted to get their rights back on their songs, so they re-recorded them. I mean, mm, Def okay. Leppard, Def Leppard painstakingly recorded um, their hit singles because they didn't have a deal with iTunes or any of the streaming services, but they wanted to have some sort of way to make money off of those songs because they they weren't in control of them, so they took gotcha. those songs. Got control of them, and then release them, and then shortly thereafter they made a deal with all the streaming services.
1: That's such an unfortunate thing when the, the guys that created the music don't even control it.
0: Yeah, it's it's terrible. And band, there are very few bands, Molly Crew, Metallica, that I know of are the only two major bands that have. Full one hundred percent control of their music. metal bands. Metal okay. bands.
1: You know, I mean, because we're all aware of of you know some of the pop bands that have had the same problem in the recent mm-hmm. years that have fought to, you know, secure the rights of their music right. in, in 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 bizarre ways sometimes because they have to. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really sad
0: for sure. So yeah, so Kiss's Kiss's first album came out in nineteen seventy four. Didn't do very well. They went back into the studio later that year for their second album. What else came out in that time?
1: In '74, uh, we also had the first release from Judas Priest. Uh, not really a, uh, a, a metal album. Uh, this was the, so a lot of holdover songs from uh, the Al Atkins era of the band. Before recording, it was more of a hard rock psychedelic album. Um, it's kind of a hard listen if you 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 know came into the band later, like I did with with uh, British Steel. Um, but it's definitely the groundwork of what they would become later as you listen in progression. But if you were to take British Steel and then immediately go and listen to Rock A Roll, it'd be kind of a tough sell.
0: Yeah, Rock A Roll, it, it had, I mean, the song itself, Rock A Roll, is pretty cool. Uh, really, the rest of the album doesn't have a lot of what would be Judas Priest later on. And
1: Although- the album was re released as Hero Hero. Had, had, uh, you know, a couple of the songs for like, like half four. the
0: album was, was done as hero. hero yeah. It was, it was a mixture. Was a little bit harder edge to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, still, I mean, never satisfied it ended up being a very influential song for a lot of bands, yeah. especially with the acoustic movement, uh, as it came on, came along in the, in the two mm-hmm. so thousands, a lot of bands were covering that song. Uh, Armored Saint was one of those particular bands. Um, let's move on to the next one. That would be 1975 with Rainbow. Uh,
1: Richie Blackmore's Rainbow uh, was the first release after uh, he left Deep Purple. Um, Deep Purple, probably band we should mention as well, but uh, uh, n- at, we up, to point, <laughs> up to that point, that year, up to that point, was not really a metal band either. No, they weren't, um, and, and. it, it, it It's classified, uh, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow is classified as a metal album, but still has a lot of that renaissance feel that he would carry on throughout his career. Um, A little bit slower, more hard rock. Uh, and You can definitely tell a huge progression from the first album to the second album of of more of the metal sound. What it did bring to us was, it's a mainstream music, was uh, uh, Ronnie James Dio. Yes, uh, he he's his really first album um, didn't really become as big of a hit in America until he joined Black Sabbath a few years later. Definitely brought him to uh, attention. Um, Rainbow really didn't become anything in America until later when when. Um, Jolene Turner Jolene Turner joined the band.
0: Yeah, they tried to do something with when they had Graham Bonnet as a singer When they, that kind of almost broke them. It just didn't really the, break them. Right. The Down to Earth album into, was a good album but it didn't it didn't go over very well. But yes. Jolene Turner and uh I Surrender was the single I think that uh mm-hmm. that that broke Rainbow in the States. Yes. And eventually the Straight Between the Eyes album was what Yeah, you had Death the
1: al- Death Valley Driver or yes, Death Alley Driver. Death Valley Driver.
0: And Stone Cold was the big hit for them.
1: Yes. So, following 1975, we have a 1976 ACDC's first album, but it was kind of an odd release as it was an Australia-only version of High Voltage. Right, and that
0: actually, the Australian version actually came out in 1975, but it in 1976, the album came out in America. Okay. But oddly enough, the album that came out in America in 76 was ACDC's second album, TNT, in Australia. It was... a you know, what, a couple flipped yeah, songs with, between what the those two American albums. companies like to do and change songs around. And, and what and, we
1: would call Jailbreak later.
0: Right, and so later on, the songs that didn't make it would come out on 74 Jailbreak back in, uh, I think it was 1984, that it finally came out. Mm-hmm. So AC/DC, yeah, well after Bond's death. Oh yeah, well after yeah. Bond's death. I mean, uh, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap came out after Bond's death in the United, in the United States. States. It yeah. was already a well-known album all around the world, and... Uh, you know the the american record companies sometimes just don't get it um and that's things like that that happen AC/DC happen. But but ac first american album was high voltage contains a few classics especially it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll that that's the big hit off of there
1: featured in uh, Jack Black's movie School of Rock
0: School, that's awesome movie <laughs> especially if you like music and also on that album was live wire TNT, TNT. That's also a good song. So there was a lot that 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 showed a lot of promise, and eventually, you know, the next album actually that they recorded would be "Dirty D's Under Cheap," which Americans didn't hear for quite a while. It wasn't until um, "Let There Be Rock" that America really got a big hit on uh, ACDC. So moving right along,
1: we get Van Halen,
0: Van, the mighty Van Halen. They're running with the devil eruption or mind blown eruption yeah eruption says it all i mean people's there was you know tons and tons of people just walking around with their jaws on the floor a (laughs) bunch of young kids that played guitar just drool everywhere yeah just drool everywhere that album was phenomenal
1: i mean my my personal favorite is ain't talking about love there's just something about that that just, just explosion of music that was happening in that whole album from beginning to end even even ice cream man you know was was a good finish to the album if you had that version of the album if you had a cassette tape sometimes on fire was the last song which was intended to be the final song however ice cream man was on some versions because for some reason on fire became track six
0: what happened to the other five tracks <laughs> no so so no, was, five, was, that was a side a <laughs> was this <laughs> was this something that was added to it like was no it's it just the a misprinted release? oh it
1: was a misprint. yeah it was just a mis mis m- made release oh, okay so yeah. the manufacturing issue mm-hmm.
0: oh, okay that's cool so it's probably like a lot
1: of collector's items out there and i think it was like 50 50 split on which version of the cassette you got And nobody really, you know, collects cassettes anymore. Cassettes. (laughs) I'm sorry to the one person that still collects cassettes. I'm buying. (laughs) I'm buying a Sony
0: Walkman next week just for that. All right. So Van, yeah, Van Halen's first album. I mean, was groundbreaking. The guitar work was incredible. my personal favorite happens to be Van Halen 2 which is the, the album i bought by accident thinking it was the first album and i'm like where's eruption how come i don't hear eruption like well, i was this <laughs> acoustic spanish fly i'm serious that's what happened to me i put on things I, like, I hear spanish fly I'm like, well this is pretty cool but what happened to eruption i thought it was this big guitar thing and nope it wasn't there and but i like the album damn it's a good album Van Halen too.
1: Sophomore albums are subject for another day. That's another day.
0: (laughs) All right. So after Van Halen in seventy eight,
1: all aboard
0: the Crazy Train. Ozzy Osbourne (laughs) came out in nineteen eighty. So he gets fired from Black Sabbath in seventy nine,
1: for the second time. For the second, third, fourth. Yeah, I walked away, fired. It's kind of a murky area.
0: Yeah. I mean, he he was fired the second time for sure. Yeah, they parted ways. Mm He stayed drunk in a hotel room for quite a long time. Actually, his new video references that whole thing about him being- in Yeah, the, for his new, new album? Yeah, for a new album. All right, so Blizzard of Oz comes out in 1980. Um, so much like Van Halen had Jaws dropped to the floor, Randy Rhodes was introduced to the world because he, even though he was on the first two Quiet Riot records- Nobody except for some Japanese people on the other side of the world knew about that. Yeah, but, it, was, it
1: was very limited releases uh, in Japan and, and never really right, and the production shown wasn't to the as world. Yeah.
0: Songs weren't as good, but Ozzy released or unleashed Randy Rhodes to the world. And, and For two albums, two wow. amazing albums. Yes, amazing. Randy Rhodes is my favorite guitar player, hands down. Uh, even though Van Halen had a lot of tricks. He had the, the finger tapping, Randy Rhodes. I mean, if you listen to those first two albums, if you listen to Blizzard, you listen to Diary. The production that he did, getting hit because they they produced it, they basically self produced the first album. And to listen to Crazy Train and the overlapping, I mean, the guy overdubbed his guitars and, and tracked them and double tracked them and triple tracked them to precision with different tones. I mean, it, the production alone on on Blizzard of Oz is
1: amazing. Yeah, he, I mean, he broke a lot of ground. It's hard not to. I mean, when you say he's your favorite guitarist, it's hard not to 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 have him up there. I mean, he, he really only had two major albums to showcase his work, and every song was a hit. Oh, it's, I mean, the, his work is incredible. It really was. Um, yeah, I've, absolutely. Blizzard of Oz is one of those albums that uh, it was a really defining moment for Ozzy because you know what 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 could he do? Outside of Black Sabbath, he wasn't right. a songwriter. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, one of the major components of of this the what this the the the, uh, the songwriting itself was in Black Sabbath. But he was the voice. He was he was that you know that that mm-hmm. yeah. dark and creepy aspect he was of the, it. He was the melody. And he was maker. the showman, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. He was he's the frontman. He's and he's one of the greatest frontmen of all time. Mm-hmm. But um, you know this album, you know with Bob Daisley on bass. Randy on guitar, Lee Kerslake on drums. Four of them wrote the songs. The four of them produced the album. and That album was amazing. You Absolutely. Know? And as amazing as that was, their sophomore record was probably better. That's for another it's episode. It's debatable. It's yeah. debatable. <laughs> there have there, been plenty of debates. Jericho has done a, a album-to-album head-to-head debate on that. So. Uh, that's uh, for another episode for us to discuss. We'll be definitely doing that. That's for sure. All right. Also, in 1980, a favorite of ours came out.
1: Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, such a
1: such a great album. First Paul Diano album. Uh, just groundbreaking in in the sound that was produced. You could hear every instrument. You could hear the bass, which would became a, a, a staple. Of metal for the next ten years was that differentiation of sound. You could hear all the parts. The bass was so important that it's kind of muddy today. Yeah. Whereas you know the the driving force, the the galloping bass of Steve Harris. And what
0: and what's funny is Steve hates the album. He thinks the production stinks on it. He he's that's why you know Will Malone was the producer on that album and. The second album, again, another sophomore effort, is when they introduced Martin Birch to the band, and he became their producer all the way up until he retired.
1: Well, definitely better production on oh, the yeah. second album. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a no-brainer. But the songs. But the on, songs on, themselves. On, yeah, and Iron
0: Maiden were incredible. Incredible. And and my favorite being Phantom on that album. Oh, Phantom F- of the Opera.
1: Phantom with Opera, Iron Maiden, Prowler. I mean, it, it just so good songs.
0: It, awesome. Awesome album. Okay, uh, what else we got as far as the 80s are concerned?
1: 1982, we got Merciful Fate.
0: Merciful Fate. Melissa. Melissa. What, that, that's, it, that's an interesting album because you're talking about a Danish band no one knows of, and they basically pioneer a, a whole metal movement, a, a genre that ended up being black metal. Death metal, whatever you know, it it splintered in so many different ways. You know, Venom was a purveyor. The year before, Merciful Fate came out. uh, What was it? Hellhammer, Celtic Frost, all those guys came out around the same time. Nineteen eighty-four. Yeah. So in eighty-two, Merciful Fate comes out with Melissa, and you hear this this guy who has a, a falsetto that's just unbelievable.
1: And his ability to switch between a falsetto and a, a, and a little bit of a, not a growl, but uh, a little bit of a gruff singing voice. Right. His ability to just swap back and forth is uncanny.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, he had an amazing skill. And then, you know, on top of that, wore what would eventually be a, 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 a black metal staple. He wore the kabuki makeup, make himself look evil. The corpse paint. The corpse paint, it right.
1: Well, it, and, and the subject matter of the music, the satanic nature of the music, uh, became almost cool, you know. And mm-hmm. and, and and from a, a, a um, mythological standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just telling a story of you know the of the fall of Satan, the the you know the the witches, Melissa, right. know, the character. It's, it's all just um, it's very interesting to listen to because it's a lot of storytelling.
0: Yeah, he's he's definitely a great storyteller, and that would, that would come out later, much later, in, in when he became King Diamond, the band, as opposed to the singer. But Melissa, I mean, there's some classic songs on there with uh, Evil, The Curse of the, Pharaohs, Curse of the Pharaoh, Into the Coven, Satan's Fall, all those albums. Oh, excuse me, yeah, all I mean, those you, songs. You
1: just list the whole... Yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs> was only, it, there's only eight songs in the album, So, but a classic album. Um, also... 1983. 1983. Nothing happened in nothing happened whatsoever in 1983. Other than Metallica, kill em all. A, a worldwide movement began <laughs> in 1983. Metallica unleashed Kill Em All" on the unsuspecting public in New Jersey <laughs> in, a, in a record store called Rock and Roll Heaven. It was amazing. I mean, Metallica was building their name with their underground tape trading. Johnny Z hears about them, brings them to New York. They record their debut album this comes out in june i believe of 1983 and it was the doors got smashed open kill them all what do you have to say
1: i mean kill them all was new and different to the ears of the public uh most people hadn't heard diamond head most people hadn't heard a lot of the the influences that they had heard like budgie etc so it was the, the, the culmination of all these things together that formed something that appealed to just so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it was the origins of thrash metal, you know, songs like Whiplash, just, there hadn't been anything really quite like it yet.
0: Oh, no, I mean, even when I first heard Whiplash, I mean, that's the first Metallica song I ever heard. And I was already a quote unquote metalhead, but I was listening to, you know, Van Halen, Judas Priest, Ozzy. A C D C but Metallica was just different. Mm-hmm. And the first time I heard Whiplash, I was like, I didn't think people could play that fast. I mean, yeah, I mean was, Motorhead
1: had songs before. that. I hadn't that, even heard Motorhead. But Motorhead, yeah, it was it was I mean not as widely spread either. No, and
0: but Metallica just it was just At least in the US. different. Right, in the US. Metallica was different. It was it was a movement because it wasn't just Metallica. I mean
1: It was raw, it was emotional, mm-hmm. it was it was angry and it was all these things that, that people were feeling at the time
0: and the and the, sound of the album it, it literally sounded like a a buzzsaw you know a, <laughs> a, a for, for whatever one reason like some sort of woodworking machine pushing a board of you know a, a, a pile of wood through it and just cutting it that's the way the guitar sound they sounded so just rough but it was such a clean sound but it was it was incredible Mm-hmm. I, that's all I can say. I mean, I, I was floored. Just
1: attack, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was it was straight on attack. And in '83, later that year, Slayer would come out with "Show No Mercy," and although not as produced as well, just as influential. I mean, that whole scene became, you know, they although they were always a thrash band, Slayer, they would be what would become the like a speed metal. Uh,
1: they carried the banner of of thrash with Anthrax for the last uh, right, but but you know. Black,
0: you know they they were part of you know so, somewhere on a tan you know tangential side of black metal of death metal because of their vocal style and because of their subject matter in the subject matter, yeah. you know. Along with that, so basically Metallica in '83, Slayer in '83, and and at the same time, although they weren't signed. Anthrax was around at that time because they became friends with Metallica. They come out with their album in
1: 1984. 84 with uh, Neil Turbin as the singer on vocals. A little different, not as not as widely appreciated. Um, Eddie Trunk is known for uh, kind of mentioning to Anthrax that he didn't think he thought they sounded awesome, but didn't think they were going to get anywhere with Neil as the singer. And uh, it's probably true. I mean, when Joey Belladonna joined the scene. It it changed the whole the game for them.
0: They became the heavy metal journey.
1: D- yes, <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, that's, that, that's, that's the kind way of what Jay I've sings. said before. Yeah, right.
1: they have a they have a journey esque vocal sound past mm-hmm. that initial album that uh, made them a little bit more accessible to the, the 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 early metal people. Yeah, fans.
0: Yeah, but Neil Neil's I mean that first album Fistful Metal I always like I like the way. Bush re-recorded some of those songs. Mm-hmm. They sound really good. The production was much better. But there was just something special about Fistful of Metal when it first came out. There's
1: there's some really cool songs for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it it it's uh it it was definitely early thrash.
0: Yes. Definitely early thrash. Which, and then to go along with that, to add to that 1985 here comes Megadeth. Megadeth.
1: You know, fresh off of the, the uh the bus back from New York. Uh Who already sort of had debut in a way in songwriting credits with metallica's first album um but you know the 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 record companies knew dave was really talented um they gave him a a a stipend to start the album he blew all the money on on you know extracurriculars and (laughs) sorry and then uh they realized they had to, to throw an album together pretty quick. So the first uh, the first album has some fantastic songs on it. It's not necessarily as cohesive. It's as got what great Fall songs up. on it, but
0: um, man, does that album sound like shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's also been remastered a couple times and does sound better today. The unfortunate they, thing he, is he these boots has been re-recorded. Oh yeah, because of copyright issues and it, yeah, unfortunately you have, you got to listen to that original version of these boots to really get the what was intended
0: i think on the 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 final kill version he he's, had, he's also re-recorded some guitar re-re- parts he re-recorded and vocals. well on on the so there was the re the reissue of Em Killam- of Killam- the 90s of, Killam-
1: reissue you're talking about no
0: i'm talking about the 2004 i think to, it was. Yeah, okay 2004 yeah that one was there was parts re-recorded um the, that's when they they beeped out the the, the lyrics to uh yeah, the change to uh, these version. boots, but then when they came out with another one a couple of years ago, uh, he re recorded the things again yes, and this time, time he like actually straightened out the lyrics to these boots so that he can get it without the beeps on it. Mm-hmm. So but but they're new lyrics they're, new they're lyrics. not they're it's, not the same original right. lyrics.
1: So, so you got three versions of the songs. Yeah, yeah it's
0: it's crazy. It's yep. weird. I mean, it sounds great. But you go all the way back to the first one where they had the, the the album cover they didn't want, the sound they didn't want. I mean, it was it was a total cluster mess for for mm. for Dave. But a lot of that had to do with his own personal issues at the time.
1: Yeah, and so. it, which is a which is a catalog of history.
0: But again, his second album, the sophomore, would change things. Yep, sophomore albums coming soon.
1: So <laughs> going back to 1984, uh, we kind of mentioned, touched on Hellhammer. Uh, Bathory, those two were really the first black metal albums. Uh, still a little different than what it would become, right? But at that point, the, it was the low production. The you know fighting against what, what was accepted as as you know the death metal scene, the well not really death metal scene, but the 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 extreme metal scene, um, the the overproduction, the people in 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 uh, Sweden finland norway they just really were were against you know the establishment kind of like punk in that they just didn't want that all that overproduction it was all more about the mood the vibe and you know these guys Bathory, hellhammer which became celtic frost later um were were the predecessors following venom on that that dark black evil sound
0: what I what I don't understand about that is that Celtic Frost themselves actually had good production. Tom Fisher actually wants good production.
1: Well, that was that was why he went away from Hellhammer, right? That, I mean, Hellhammer was one release. That was it. Yeah, yeah. And that was it was of the black metal vein,
0: right? It's just yeah. I, I, I never understood, and will still not understand why it is that genre prefers to sound like crap. Because they've got such talent in a lot of those musicians, and it's just especially the drummers. <laughs> oh yeah, the drummers are out
1: of out of their minds. But because it, because it's about the the attitude. It's not it's not just the music. It's the whole presentation that you're getting, and it's a it's a, it's an anti-establishment movement, and that that's what it's about. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of black metal myself, but I understand what story they're trying to tell with their music. I get it, but I don't like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyway 1984 85 we move along to 87 1987 and there's only one thing we could say about 1987 well do you to know, know where you are you're in the jungle baby guns and roses comes out in 1987 and in reality no one noticed because the album didn't take off right away it wasn't until mtv blew up welcome to the jungle um, and then Sweet Child of Mine became a big hit in early 88. But a- Appetite for Destruction was basically the epitome of the Sunset Strip scene as, oh, as it became. Oh, for
1: sure. Of all those bands, you know, Faster yeah. Pussycat. Uh, L.A. Guns. L.A. Guns. All that.
0: Everything that started in the early 80s with, with Rap, Motley Crue, Wasp, you know, all those bands, it culminated with Guns N' Roses. And they, they literally took every best piece of that and put it together in appetite for destruction.
1: They did but but it didn't really carry I mean they had elements of glam mm-hmm. but they were much meaner. Oh yeah. And and, and the, the the result was was a much more aggressive album. You know there was it was no like I'm going to love you baby it was it was like I'm gonna like love you and you're gonna like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: except for Sweet Child of Mine. I mean that's yeah, such I a, mean there's always that's the, a beautiful song. Yeah, there's always a you
1: know, a ballad in there, but still I when mean you it's, think
0: about think about you know the song Think About You right before Sweet Child of Mine, I think it's before.
1: Or It's So Easy. Well Yeah, you know, it's so easy. they're not they're not friendly no, songs. Not
0: at all. Yeah. But yeah, My Michelle is Night Train. It's all great songs. <laughs> Just you know, that that album
1: uh, they still live off of that album to this day. Obviously, you it's they're still their best one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even Matt Sorum said, if, uh, you know, comparing uh, Appetite for Destruction versus Use Your Illusion one and two, he said he said Appetite was better. No, for sure. He, I mean, he would have rather been on that album.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't? You get yeah. a lot of money off of that. So eighty seven also brought us something uh, near and dear to Chris's heart.
1: Uh, It's the origin of death metal with uh, Death's first album, Scream Bloody Gore. Uh, Very different than what they would become, but that first album, very macabre, uh, dark, you know, deathy lyrics. Uh, But it was uh, the first, you know, that growl that first appeared. Uh, Celtic Frost had kind of done gruff vocals before. Others had done the same thing, but the, the first one that did that death growl Chuck Schuldiner with uh, Scream Bloody Gore. I don't get it. Oh, I do.
0: Absolutely. I, it's not that I don't get it. I, I get it. But it was one thing I just, I could not get into. Um, I was, I grew up in the era of the operatic singers. I grew up in the era of, you know, Rob Halford, Bruce Dickinson, Jeff Tate, Ronnie James Dio. Those were singers. And, and all of a sudden, you know, James Hetfield not the best singer, Kerry King not the best singer, you know, and but yet Carrie King. I'm, I'm sorry, not Tom. King, Tom Wright. <laughs> I'm talking about Slayer. Um, you know, Tom Wright not the best singer. James is not the best singer, but they fit their bands perfectly. But death and death metal it, 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 it uh, took in it to in the next itself, level. It's it's somewhere that I just couldn't I couldn't grasp it. I don't, I don't care about the subject matter because the subject matter is the same as, you know, as Slayer. You know, subject matter is the same as Celtic Frost or Merciful Fate. It doesn't bother me subject matter-wise. It just, I can't adopt that or, or accept that style of vocals, which is weird because I like Sepultura. I like Amon Amarth. For whatever reason, that, that real extreme part of, of, of death, the band, uh, I just could not get into
1: I think for me it was a natural progression Everything that I wanted to listen to Became heavier and heavier and heavier And it was just the next logical step um, And then lyrically You know those first couple albums They're They're a little more um, You know uh, Zombies and You know monster movie kind of stuff But over time Ahead of his time
0: really Yeah Because that shit's popular now Oh yeah
1: for sure <laughs> But then you know they changed over time. But we're again we're talking about the debut album, and that's that's where death started. Was that that kind of zombie mm-hmm. ritual? Uh, was it scream bloody gore? Scream bloody gore.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's just it wasn't my thing, and it, it it's still not my thing to this day. Although oddly enough, I like other bands that are sounds similar. That they inspired. Yeah.
1: They, well, I mean, and that's that's kind of how I always felt about Kiss was. I, I never really got KISS as a, as a, as a whole, but uh, I, I recognize all the things they inspired and how many artists they inspired. And I've always found them very interesting, whereas I didn't really grow up listening to their music. In 1990, though, we have Pantera. So we've, we've gone from the era of, of the beginnings of Thrash into more groove metal, with, with Pantera's, not technically their debut, because their debut was uh, Metal Magic. Metal Magic was uh, a whole different band in a way. It was terrible. <laughs> well, instead <laughs> no. instead of Rex Brown, you had Rex Rocker. Rex instead, Rocker. Instead of uh, Dimebag Daryl, you had Diamond, Diamond Daryl. Uh, I know, was kind of upset
0: when he changed his name to Dimebag. I, I just didn't want, I, I didn't like the connotation. That it brought, because obviously that's what it meant. Well, I mean, it, but it is you know, what it is. On 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 Cowboys from Hell, he was Diamond Daryl. But I guess I don't know if it was a matter of it was changing still the it. evolution of. Right. you know... I don't know if 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 maybe you know, David Lee Rawls said, "Hey, hey, you can't be, <laughs>
1: you can't be I Diamond." I've, I've, I think Diamond just didn't fit with the image of of everything from Cowboys and from Hell on. It just right. it just didn't fit with that image. Um, Metal Magic, again, uh, was produced by Jerry Abbott, the uh, yeah, dad, the dad, right? Uh, right, dad. Uh, And and they actually he actually produced everything from that album to the first Phil, Phil and Selma album, which was uh, power metal. Um, but they were still, you know, a, a, a glam metal band up until that point. So most people weren't even aware of those albums because they weren't widely distributed in the U.S. Um, well, they—I mean—they were in the U.S., but they just weren't, they weren't widely dist-
0: distributed. Yeah, they weren't distributed because it was—they it, it, were all self-produced. self-produced. But and funny thing about that is, on on the remastered, the anniversary edition of Cowboys, which sounds terrible. Yeah, this god—it's almost unlistenable. Um, they released a song, "I Will Survive," if I'm not mistaken, or "Will to Survive," I think is the song, and that is so reminiscent of
1: what was on power metal. Mm-hmm. Well, power metal had elements of what would be later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it was Phil Anselmo, but it was, it was Phil Anselmo singing in the, the higher register, uh, you know, and you'd still have some of that in Cowboys from hell. Uh, but you know, the, cause Cowboys still wasn't what would become later with, uh, vulgar display of power, etc Most people would consider Cowboys from hell, the debut album, even though it's the fifth album, from yeah, I mean, the
0: first, the first four albums really, I mean, don't count. I mean, it's it's hard to say that because they made them, but they never played them again. Mm-hmm. The songs were never uh.
1: Made in concert. Yeah, they were essentially a different band at that point. Yeah, completely different band. And it's it, like I said before, it's the first groove metal band. Um, so that that style would carry over, even if you listen to. Uh, some of Metallica's stuff that came after the Black album had elements of groove in it. That uh, you know they were inspired by guys they inspired. Yes, so very, very interesting. And I,
0: the song I was trying to refer to was "The Will to Survive." Mm-hmm. That that gotcha. came out on the on the 20th anniversary edition of Cowboys from Hell, and that song you could totally tell is is a power metal cast off or leftover or something.
1: And I would say, I mean. I, this is just personal opinion, maybe, but it se- it seemed to me that Cowboys From Hell was kind of introduced by the grunge movement. You know, s- certain aspects of the way they sounded was coming off of these grunge bands.
0: Yeah, to a degree. I mean, 1990... But they were meaner. Yeah, 1990 the changed a lot of things. I mean, it, much like how 1970, you know, 69 to 70, hard rock and heavy metal was, was forming. 1980... Heavy metal is formed. It's ready to go. It turns into the new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, it turns into American thrash metal, and then you know the the what would now be known as the hair metal phase. Nineteen ninety changed all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And Pantera, being the last, even though the, the last of the real heavy bands to come out, they were the first of the newer generation. Gen- generation, generation of bands. <laughs> I was gonna try to say genre, but it's the new generation of bands that would be that would that would essentially form their careers in the nineties. You know, grunge with Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. Alice, in Chains. Alice in Chains, you know, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains being the heavier were Nirvana and Pearl Jam being more of the mainstream. Um Pantera went right along with them. Metallica went right along with them. Skid Rose second album, sophomore, effort, Slave, Slave to the, the grind. grind. Very heavy album. So that It was, was heavy,
1: but it, I don't feel like it was grungy.
0: No, no, it wasn't grungy. I was just saying, the, the, they, they went long, they didn't go with them, per se, but they all, they, they were all riding the wave, together. Mm. You know, Metallica did their metal thing, you know, and, and they, you know, Megadeth did their metal thing, you know, in the 90s, rode their wave, but, the The grunge movement kind of it was almost like the waves were crossing, you mm. know, especially with yes. Soundgarden and Alison Change. Certain,
1: certain the 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 vibe of music had changed.
0: Well, actually, in the eighties, a music genre began, or the late seventies, early eighties, which was called hip hop, rap music. Okay, and as a, as a music person, I liked some of the elements of rap. They had you had the big crossover bands with Run DMC, uh, and LL Cool J and Public Enemy. But then in 1992, something that I always wanted to have happen was what happens when you mix rap with metal or something to that effect? 1992 introduced that in a form of Rage Against the Machine.
1: Yeah, I mean Scott Ian himself said that uh, he believes Rage Against the Machine was the, the first band that really did the rock Rap crossover mm-hmm. they were the ed- innovators of of the the rap rock um, the other bands had done you know some stuff like Cypress Hill had sampled some rock music uh, run dMC did the same thing mm-hmm. uh, they did uh, uh, rock rock
0: box rock box
1: mm-hmm. um, very cool song you know they had did a guitar solo in it et cetera mm-hmm. um, but the, the first ones that really brought in that, that politically charged rap album or rap rock album with just killer guitar music was Rage Against the Machine with their debut album, Rage Against Machine. Um, yes. I mean, just right off the block, you got b- uh, Bomb Track and then Killing in the Name. And Killing in the Name, I mean, is, is just huge. Even people that don't like rap rock know Killing in the Name.
0: Yeah, I mean that was the first album to really blend it solid. I mean a whole album, a whole band, a whole art form, basically. I mean Anthrax and Public Enemy had joined forces to to re-record Bring the Noise, but in reality that was a one-off, mm-hmm. and it was it, it was basically the, the just the same song that had been done earlier, just done with metal, you know, guitars, drums, and bass. Rage Against the Machine, that first album was phenomenal. With with those and sort of Bomb Track, like you said, "Killing in the Name of Freedom" was a was a great well, freedom, song. Yeah, for sure. Bullet in you know, the head. Bullet in the head. Those, I mean, the the politicalness, which which is definitely traces its its history to 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 like a public enemy and, and, and a band like that. And then to have, you know, the guitar work, the bass work. I mean, they just tell you straight up on the album. No, nothing else other than drums, guitar, vocals, and bass. That mm-hmm. was it. You know, there was nothing else. There was no keyboards and nothing. And it's amazing to hear that that guitar work. From. Oh
1: yeah, Tom Morello uh, just did something different than what anybody else was doing at the time. And and what followed with rap rock became. A little more questionable. I mean, it, it happens with any genre of music. When you, when you have something, somebody new and innovative, you have a bunch of copycats. But the originators of that style still have the best guitar tone oh, yeah. in that style.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Tom's solos are incredible. Incredible. You know, it, it, he is one of the top tier guitar players in the world. I mean, the guy plays with Bruce Springsteen. So it tells you how much, because Bruce doesn't have crappy musicians on his stage, and you got to play for four hours, and you got to know, you got to know like every song in in history when you play with Bruce, because he'll just say, hey, let's play this one, boom, and you got to play it. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-oh. So you got to go along with it really well.
1: (laughs) You know, something interesting for for nerds out there, Uh, Tom Morello actually appeared in a few episodes of Star Trek. Really? Yes, he did. Wow. As what? He was
0: some kind or of alien.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. That for nerds. Well, he is a nerd. I mean, he's, he, went he's nerd. he went to Harvard. He went to Harvard. Guy's yeah. smart.
1: He's very intelligent. I mean, he worked in had a political career. Worked for a senator, I believe, at did one really? point. Yes, he did. Wow, oh, okay. I'll have to fact check what position this political person. He wasn't under desk or anything, was he?
0: No. Okay. 1994, corn. You're not a big fan of corn.
1: I'm, I, not, uh, I'm uh, th- it's, as you said earlier, near and dear to my heart. This is as far away from near and dear to my heart <laughs> as it gets. Corn and Marilyn Manson. I'm
0: I'm only mentioning that because they, they were two bands. You say Marilyn Manson and Corn. Corn was the beginning of new metal. And you yeah, no know, no doubt
1: the impact you know, that they made. It's and, just a bad impact.
0: Oh I mean <laughs> it, it, it changed the scene dramatically. And there's there's no doubt about it. Their their influence is still felt today. So, you know, you cannot deny them their place in, in, in hard rock heavy metal history. That being said, I'm not a big fan. I mean, I like some of the songs that are on the radio. Um, you know, Twisted Transistor is a pretty cool song, you know. Uh some of the stuff on the first album was pretty cool. I actually got to meet them during their first album tour. They signed my first CD, or their first CD, excuse me. Uh, but, you know, it, it it again, there's no denying their place in history. They came out in 1984. Marilyn Manson came out in 1994. He used a Florida product. Uh, I actually was at his um, album party when the album came out and was released in Fort Lauderdale. Well, released nationally, but it, the party was in Fort Lauderdale. I don't believe he was there, but I think some of the band members were there. Uh, he may have, he may have been there just in the back room. The album was an extension of what Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor had started a few years earlier. Trent Reznor had a lot to do with the making of this album. So that Portrait of American Family is is a is the debut album for Marilyn Manson. Um, a lot of good songs, um, a lot of crazy stuff on that album, um, but. It, it definitely was something that started a whole new genre uh, in the '90s. Along you know, shock rock, shock rock. Not that you know, Kiss was the first. Well, Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper, know, shock rock, Kiss. Kiss was I mean, shock the other rock. people
1: had done shock rock, but th- this was a reinvention of shock rock. Yeah, in in, in an a extreme, explicit, yes, extreme explic-
0: manner. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So also took full my-
1: advantage of that parental advisory sticker. <sighs>
0: Yeah, he he went a little bit beyond in some cases. Uh, Also in 94, somewhere on the other side of the world.
1: You got In Flames. In Flames' first album is kind of an odd one uh, because a lot of the band members that would be in the band every album going forward were not there. It was more of a a musical project for Jesper Schronblad, the uh, the guitarist, uh, just kind of an outlet for him to create some of these songs he'd been Coming up with that really didn't fit into the genre of other stuff that was going on at the time. Um, the first, or the singer on the first album is Michael Stan, and I, I apologize if I mispronounce his last name. Uh, but he would become the singer of uh, Dark Tranquillity, and Dark Tranquility's lead singer Anders Frieden would come over to In Flames, so they swap places on their next albums. Um, That's weird, but it, it's it's kind of odd, and 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 the lineup changed. Uh, with their band too of people changing instruments et cetera, so it was it was a it was a, a very cool um, album that people were very shocked by. It was created what was called the Gothenburg sound, and it had um, a lot of uh, elements in it of kind of folk music uh, for the, uh, at least uh, Swedish folk music. Um, Swedish
0: folk music's heavy stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> One of their biggest hits from that album was "Behind Space," which was later re-recorded multiple times with the band, and just you know, it's still played today in concert. Even though there's very few members of that band, in fact, there's zero members of the original band on tour now.
0: But you know that that's actually since you bring that up, that is going to be another topic that we're going to talk about when we talk about bands and members and and how some Changing don't have the guard. yeah some don't have all but one original member and in some cases none none of
1: the original members yeah <laughs> which is weird yeah there's there are zero members of the original lineup of in flames on on their current lineup
0: interesting yeah so middle 90s um, um, was a, a basically transitional period that eventually would lead into the late 90s new metal was gaining more and more ground at this time and
1: in also Finland, in yeah, on the other side of the world a again <laughs> uh, yeah you had children of bottom with their first album something wild uh what was what was kind of unique about that album was it was it was uh symphonic it had keyboard solos it had uh um uh guitar solos and and keyboard solos trading off and what you had was was um more of like a orchestral sound, mm-hmm. uh, it w- and it was released to universal acclaim. There was uh, one one thing that has been said about it multiple times by multiple reviewers is that there's no fillers in that album, from beginning to end. It's just hit after hit, and it may not have been as hit a hit in America in the same regard, but overseas, I mean, it was huge, and in Japan, it blew up. Yeah, Japan. I mean,
0: Japan likes a lot of different music and metal for whatever reason, no matter what kind of style is near and dear to most Japanese people's hearts. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they, they literally adopt everything and you can be huge in that country,
1: which is pretty cool. Mr. Big. I mean, Mr. Big is one of those bands that never really had a white main or huge mainstream appeal here, but over in Japan, Mr. Big is gigantic. Mr. Big
0: right sort of like how the Hoff is huge in Germany
1: yes I would say a similar similar <laughs> aspect Hoff.
0: and he's making a metal album or did he already make it who knows we'll talk about we'll talk, talk about that at debut, some point <laughs> debut album <laughs> from the Hoff. Um, so in 97 um, that led to a lot of bands coming out um, that would eventually all make Ozfest you got bands like Godsmack System of a Down, uh, Static X, Slipknot would come out in the late nineties. Drowning these, Pool, Drowning Pool. No, they were later. They were later. They were later. Um,
1: Not really my scene, but
0: but you know, it, it, and it was funny because you know a lot of them got lumped into new metal, um, and they really weren't new metal. Uh, I don't. I would never consider Godsmack a new metal band. I would never consider Slipknot a new metal band. Because they were, they, I mean, if you listen to the first song called Sick, there are elements on that song. Sick from what band? From Slipknot. Slipknot, okay. You you hear there's elements that are very deathy. Not that it's death metal at all, but very deathy. Um, Obviously, the vocals, extreme, almost deathy, you know. Um, But um, my wife was telling me last night we heard one song and she instantly identified it as Slipknot. And she says to me, there's no denying that sound. No matter where you hear it, how you hear it, you can identify the fact that it's Slipknot and it, that it's Corey Taylor singing. Even with the rough vocals, it's it's uncanny. Yeah. And that's great. That That's what makes a great album. That's what, uh, uh, that's what makes a great song. That's what makes a great band when you have your own unique style. So Slipknot's first album came out in 99. Very good album for the genre that it would... It would Continue to help explode um, the the whole Ozfest era of bands, um, basically what ended up becoming the new wave of of American heavy metal, which essentially is metalcore. You know, not necessarily my favorite thing, but there are some bands I'm a big fan of. Shadows Fall, they really had some cool some cool albums, um, some cool songs. I I almost look like that. That they combined. Um, a lot of elements of like traditional heavy American heavy metal, like, like Metallica or uh, the stuff from the eighties and then mixed it with the growling vocals and and then clean vocals, which is that metal core. There
1: was elements of the scandinavian sound and some of those bands right. music, yeah. Yeah, you
0: know, so you know, that became metalcore. And mm-hmm. you know that genre we're not going to touch upon that tonight because it, it just extends into so many little different tentacles and branches somewhere else, and we'll have a discussion about that when we can intelligently speak about it. But uh, that's where you know bands like that, you know, Godsmack, Slipknot, and all those started in that in that time period. So the so, new millennium comes around.
1: And yeah, we're going to wrap up the the, the I would say volume one of uh, debut albums. debut albums with uh, the year two thousand. Uh, with the return of the metal god, Rob Halford. Rob Halford. So we got the uh, Resurrection, which is exactly what it was. And so prior to the return as Halford, um, after Rob left Judas Priest, you had Fight. And Amazing Fight, album. Awesome. The debut album incredible incredible second album wasn't as strong because some of the some of the 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 pieces had shifted around russ parrish was no longer with the band um it just it just wasn't as as cohesive as an album and that was really showed with the you know the dissolution of the band afterwards yeah the
0: songwriting was a little weaker than uh and from the first out, from the first yeah, album, f- War fight Wars. just
1: smacked you in the face. It, I mean, it had a grunge aspect to it, but it was also a metal album.
0: Oh, it, it, it was it was so much because remember that 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 buzzsaw sound that Metallica had on on mm-hmm. Kill 'em All. That was a sound that the guitars had on fight. It just first smacked album. you right in the face. And straight up with the Into the Pit on that first song on the album it was yeah, talk about getting slapped in the face. Oh
1: yeah. And then and then Rob followed up fight with a project called Two, which was an industrial, like kind of nine inch nails-y thing that uh, not just many people really bad. liked. Um, <laughs> it was just not good. Uh, but he came back with Halford uh, Resurrection and just again smacked you right in the face with with metal, and it was it was a kind of a, a realignment onto. What he was doing with Judas Priest before he left with Painkiller, mm-hmm. um, yeah, for sure, yeah, and, and, and it, I mean he followed up with a live the live insurrection, you know, threw in some new songs even on the live album, yeah. Um, so it was a good start back into the new millennium of metal. Yes,
0: the new the the new millennium of metal. It, what's amazing about the era now is that. There are so many different subgenres. Oh yeah! And now more so than any other time in in the history of metal, do they mix? Mm-hmm. And it's it's very very rare that you're you're gonna get someone who wants to stay away from another part of the of the scene. So even like hair metal bands, what they call them now. They still some play with harder bands because they. They everyone do, likes but it.
1: there is a lot of divisiveness in the metal community. I mean, it, it, there there's a lot of people that want nothing to do with other genres of of music. Well, I and mean, it, it's, and, it's more I mean, on I, the I, fan level than than on the, the musician level. But it, but it's completely true. You, I mean, you look at any metal forum. Any any the Facebook pages that are about metal and and it'll one comment will divide the whole fan base. But I think that's
0: that that's like that for anything because it's just a matter you make one comment and you know look at Metallica. Metallica themselves will will divide any any group of people between Between the first four albums, the first four albums, the 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 Load era or now. But what I was trying to say about it was that nowadays you're you're going to be able to still get. A Megadeth playing with a kill switch engage, or or an Anthrax Sometimes, playing with but, kill switch engage. But we
1: saw for, I mean, we saw firsthand with with uh, Iron Maiden the last couple of tours that I saw. Um, we we saw Raven Age, which opened up for Iron Maiden, which was His, Steve Harris's son. Yeah, and some of the crowd was into it, and a lot of the crowd wasn't because it's just a very different sound. And that you could hear people going, "Okay, well, you know, a few songs in, they're going, this isn't bad. I, I like this, but they just didn't know who they were."
0: And that I think that's big—the big part of the problem because Ghost had actually a pretty decent showing when they opened up for Maiden in the previous
1: tour. Yeah, but Ghost has had so uh, more publicity, right? And a lot of metal people saying, you know, like, and I mean, when I say metal people, I mean metal bands mm-hmm. gi- giving them props for what they do, right? Um, Whereas when Coheed more Cambria concert Cambria opened for oh, got, Iron Maiden. They got booed off the they stage. They got booed off the stage. I mean, it, it, it's just too different of an experience for a lot of the older fans.
0: Iron Maiden's a tough crowd because literally Iron Maiden has their own crowd that shows up to the show and nobody, wants to hear, nobody in that crowd wants to hear anybody else but Maiden.
1: But I've had other similar experiences. I mean, I went to see Death Clock. Uh, Brendan Small project, you know the the Metalocalypse TV show. I went to see the band play live. the The opening acts were uh, Machine Head and Overkill, and it, it was it was almost like there were people that were just there to see Overkill, and they left. And then a younger crowd walks in right when Overkill is leaving to watch Machine Head to watch no well no to watch Death Clock mm-hmm. at the end it was it was a really bizarre experience because my friend and I are standing there just watching the band and we're seeing like the crowd cycle in and out and maybe not necessarily leaving but heading towards the back not standing right at the front whenever or you know guys that were in the back coming to the front whenever mm-hmm. Overkill you know left the stage and it was just a really odd experience. You know,
0: I, I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. I mean, I went to see Anthrax and Lamb of God, and I stayed for about three Lamb of God songs and bailed. Mm-hmm. I like some songs from Lamb of God, but they're almost the vocals to me. It, it, it reminds me of really bad punk, California punk, where you, you can't understand what they're saying. You know, and and, and, and then, but the metal, the the music is awesome. But I just can't deal with the singing you know
1: and but it it illustrates my point Right. the exactly. metal community is divided true and you're right and a lot of times i mean like for instance with with me i've never grown up really listening to a lot of uh, the, the the operatic singing other than iron maiden and some of that vein which is a little bit more accessible to me than say queensreich where you've introduced me to queensreich and i've i've come to kind of accept some of that and i'm getting used to the vocals so there, I mean, there's there's opportunities, and I definitely recommend to anybody out there go see live music. Even if you don't think you like the band, sometimes seeing them live will open up your eyes, open sure. up your ears.
0: For sure, that's where we're at now. Well, that's let's the end let's, of let's mention one. one more, one more band one from more band.
1: 2000, and that's a, a really interesting one is Fozzy. Fozzy. Now Fozzy. Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho, wrestler. Everybody knows Chris Jericho, right? <laughs> Chris Jericho, wrestler, dreams of being a a metal guy, makes his dream happen. Puts out an album that is really a cover album with two original songs on it. Under the gimmick that Fozzie's been overseas in Japan for all these years, traveling around, write all these amazing songs, and they got ripped off by (laughs) all all of our favorite bands, Ozzy, uh, Judas Priest, Priest, Dio. Yeah, All these guys have been ripping them off for years. And that was the gimmick for the first two albums. But then they, they changed and they've been writing original stuff since that is just phenomenal and very accessible. And uh, it, it, the first Fozzie album doesn't necessarily represent what they do now, but you can hear how amazing of a singer.
0: Oh, he's a great singer. Um, I like I like Fozzie a lot. Um, I love the covers that they do. Livewire uh, was a great oh, cover. But stand up um, a shout. The new albums that they've put out, I mean, they're in. They're they're a victim of today's sound in that regards. Yes. But the songs are good. I mean, mm-hmm. the producer that they have that helps them write their songs is they've got some good stuff out there. But definitely have come a long way since the turn of the millennia. You mm-hmm. know, and so that's where we're going to end it tonight with uh, for our debut albums. Uh, Volume one, we're going to come back at another time and continue with some more stuff from the 2000s and on.
1: And now it's time for the big four. And we're going to start it off with the subject we were just talking about, our big four debut albums.
0: All right. So my number four debut album of all time is Blizzard of Oz from Ozzy Osbourne.
1: What a coincidence. (laughs) I actually listed Blizzard of Oz as my number four. Wow. Wow. Now why did you pick Blizzard of Oz?
0: Different genres of metal that were came before. He was part of the original heavy metal and then he comes out and again, nineteen eighty things were changing and the scene was changing. He he unleashes Blizzard of Oz. It was just phenomenal. I can't say enough about that album and all the four albums.
1: Yeah, but, I think I think to me, I mean, he had a lot to prove. Uh you got uh Black Sabbath continuing on with Ronnie James Dio with Heaven and Hell. And that was such an amazing album of its own right. You know, breathe life back into Black Sabbath. You know, Black Sabbath had released six just stellar albums. And then two that had hit or miss, you know, especially the last one. Mm -hmm. Um, It just you could tell everything that was going on at the time in their personal lives was affecting that album. And for them to come back with Heaven and Hell was just eye opening. And but then you have Ozzy come back with with Blizzard of Oz. You know, almost starting fresh. You know, right. he didn't have that groundwork. He didn't have the people he was working with before. And you you get the the introduction to Randy Rhodes to the world. And you know, n- enough said. There's right. no there's no misses on that album. It's all hits. All right, for number three, I got Van Halen's debut album. And, and keep in mind we're not looking at each other's
0: lists. Yeah, no, we're not. Uh, and I don't even know which one's my number 3. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got to pick
0: something. Well, I know. Uh, I like The Van Halen choice um because it it uh definitely broke the the walls down as far as guitar players. I mean, they didn't they didn't know what to do with themselves. I mean, it was just like, "What?" I mean, to the point where Eddie Van Halen uh, Dave told him Don't face the crowd so people can't see what you're doing. I mean, that's how unique and special what he was playing and Mm -hmm. doing was at the time. My number three is going to be Appetite for Destruction from Guns N' Roses. Also
1: a good choice.
0: That one, obviously, we we spoke a lot about it tonight. Um, You know, from Welcome to the Jungle all the way to Rocket Queen, that album, 12 songs strong. Oh, yeah. No doubt. What's your uh, next one?
1: Number three. I'm sorry number two i picked uh, metallica "Kill 'Em all
0: wow that's coincidental that's my number two <laughs>
1: for real wow yeah. um so uh, "Kill 'Em all is my number two uh because it was the purveyor of everything that would be my favorite i mean i would love to pick death as as my you know my favorite uh debut album but everything that came after for a band like them far exceeded What they were doing on the first album. There's so many bands like that. Megadeth. I I love everything that came after, but uh, but Killing Is My Business wasn't their strongest album. You know, there's just so many examples of that. That's why I'm so excited to talk about uh, sophomore albums in the future because to me, there's so many. Yeah, you always hear the sophomore slump, but there's so many great sophomore albums from metal bands.
0: There's so many. where the slump didn't happen. Yeah.
1: You know. So, definitely Metallica, Kill 'Em All, uh, the origins of thrash metal. Yes. Hell yes.
0: For sure. All right. So, my number one is probably, I, I would almost think it's probably going to be your number one. I'm not sure. But I have to put it because it was the number one. It was Black Sabbath.
1: And that's my number one. There
0: you go. There's so, not a
1: lot of debate in this particular no, debate. Uh, but
0: in, the, in this segment, it's not necessarily about the debate, but the the end result. It, it's going to be hard to argue about Black Sabbath being the number one <laughs> debut album because it is literally what started it all. It is.
1: All the points that we made earlier with it being just a creepy album, especially when you put yourself in the context of 1970, uh, Ozzy's... You know, young voice. The, the, that was the, haunting. The
0: bass. That that song, Black Sabbath. That's what that is. It's haunting. Yeah, if you want to get your, the the Willie scared out of you, listen to that song in dark. You know.
1: Well, that, I mean, that's and that's exactly what. And I listen did, to it when it's raining, because then you
0: in, think it's really raining. It's weird. Mm-hmm. That song is so weird. That, yeah. may, that's another reason why I don't like it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you have the intro to NIB. You've got that's uh, a killer
0: intro. That that basically right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got uh, a Evil Woman. You've got the the, the Wizard. The Wizard
0: is uh, my favorite Black Sabbath song.
1: A lot of a lot of bluesy stuff, but uh, with that influence of that of that tone, just made all the world of difference, and and put them in a whole different genre that left people wondering what they were doing for the next twenty years.
0: I mean, think about the influence that that album has had on everybody. I mean, all from from Metallica to Soundgarden all these people that I mean Sepultura Slayer they all cite Tony Iommi Mm -hmm. and Black Sabbath as as their you know their guitar hero and their and their their band the riff master the riff master for sure so that is it so number four for both of us was Blizzard of Oz got a little
1: bit so here's what I, I I think we gotta leave the order of one and two Mm-hmm. You know, we got Black Sabbath number one, Metallica Kill 'Em All number two. We both picked Blizzard of Oz. It's got to be number three. Okay, I'll go with that. So Blizzard of Oz. So the question is, Van Halen with the the original album, or Appetite for Destruction with Guns and Roses, which is the more influential? Which is the uh, the the better of the two albums?
0: If you're going to go a pure influence, it would have to be Van Halen. Okay. But if you're going to talk about across-the-board appeal, I would go with Appetite.
1: Uh, and, and I would venture to agree with you in some in some regard to, to Appetite because you think about it. What When people say Van Halen, what's the album that most people would say is their best album? I, it, it's kind of a toss-up, but a lot of people still think 1984. Yeah, they're
0: going to go to Jump or, to or Jump with uh, you know. Or half a teacher? I mean, that's yeah. that's where they were mainstream in America.
1: Whereas Guns N' Roses is still known for Appetite.
0: Yeah, I mean, everyone knows Welcome to the Jungle. Everyone knows Sweet Child
1: of Mine. Yeah. Um, I think I think I might be willing to concede this one and say Guns N' Roses Appetite as number four.
0: Number four. Okay, so the big four debut albums as compiled by the Dean of Metal and Chris K, is number four, Appetite for Destruction, number three, Blizzard of Oz from Ozzy Osbourne, number two, Metallica's Kill Em All, and number one, The Grandfathers, The Godfathers of Metal, Black Sabbath with their debut album, Black Sabbath.
1: All right, well, that's it for debating metal. On behalf of myself and Kenneth Dean, if you enjoyed our podcast or just want to rip our opinions a new one, you follow us at facebook.com slash debatingmetalpodcast or Instagram at debating metal, And you can also follow us on PodBeam.